Hi, I'm Michael Radigan. Uh, this, you're listening to Three Cheers for Goaltender Interference. I'm here with my co-host, Kat Silverman. Uh, you can follow me at Mikey Rads, Kat at Kat M. Silverman, uh, our podcast at Three Cheers for Goal One with the number three and the number one, um, and our producer, Maxwell Spar at Maxwell Spar. We're also joined today. We're really excited to be joined by Mike Gold. Uh, he, write, he covers the Flames and Coyotes, and he also does video for Aesthetics. You can follow him at Mike T. Gold. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, Did it's I pronounce a... your last name right? I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, it's it's a question that I get a lot. Um, it's something that I actually considered changing once upon a time. Like, my name is spelled G-O-U-L-D. Um, I think some of my ancestors, it used to be G-O-O-L-D, which which is kind of crazy. Um, like, goo old, but... Um, it's actually a debate that I have with my dad a lot because um, I think it's two syllables and he thinks it's just one, but we both pronounce it the same way and we both pronounce it Gould. Um, and I think that's two syllables. He thinks it's one syllable, but it's Gould. Um, almost like goo and old, but yeah, that's, that's the short way. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, how's your night going? It's, uh, it's been all right. I just played a hockey game. I play, we have in Calgary here an organized ball hockey league, which is a lot of fun. Nice. Um, but our team uh, this year is a little bit shorthanded. We only had three subs tonight and it was five on five hockey. Um, so I played like 30 minutes, um, but it was, it was a good time. It's good cardio. Awesome. Kat, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, not playing ball hockey right now because uh, we're going through a really cool cold spell here in Phoenix, um, which means that today when I drove home from work, it was 104 Fahrenheit, which is, I think, only like 40 Celsius. I don't Um, know what that means. Yeah. Yeah, it's like 40 Celsius instead of uh, 44 or 45, which it's been more or less since since the beginning of last week. Um, It was like 115 for which is like probably around 44 um, for like four days straight there. So I'm really just trying not to die. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but other than that, Mikey, I'm amazing. <laughs> That's great to hear. I'm very, I'm very glad you're alive and haven't died from a heat stroke, which uh, would be bad. I mean, I, I feel like I almost did. Uh, I know that, I, I briefly tweeted about it, but I have some friends where I work who um they wanted to do this 34 kilometer race. Um and so they signed up for it. One of them's from Port from Portland. He just moved here and he was like, Oh, it's an overnight race in June. Like that sounds perfect. What could be better? And like conned two other people that I work with into doing it with him, one of which uh has never done any sort of distance race before and they got there and their their gun time was at 7:45 p.m. and it was 110 uh which is still in the probably the low 40s celsius um and so I showed up to cheer them on and ended up having to pace them um for their last 14 kilometers of their race cuz they didn't want to finish um cuz it was so hot and they were oh, so man. tired so I I ran 14 kilometers um, at about three o'clock in the morning on Saturday night um, as my first time running since I got my walking boot back in March. <laughs> that sounds that like a nightmare. Um, it was it was not my my favorite bonding experience with my colleagues. Uh, it was not the worst bonding experience I've ever had, but it 
it for sure wasn't the best. I woke up the next morning and I've, I've never felt that hungover and I didn't <laughs> drink anything. Like there was no alcohol involved. And I woke up the next morning feeling like I'd taken like 40 shots of tequila. It was, it was rough. Um, but I'm not dead. So, so here we are. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Mikey's like, stop doing stupid stuff like this. <laughs> um, no. Um, Mike, do you want to? So you you're you cover the Flames, you cover the Coyotes. You want to get into a little bit how you uh, got into that? Yeah. Um. So covering the Flames, I mean, I I live in Calgary. I've lived in Calgary for basically most of my life. Um, went to school in Ottawa there for a little bit, but I'm back home now. Um, and yeah, it was a natural progression. Like I've been <laughs> going to Flames games for a very long time. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's natural. You grow up in the city and you become attached to a sports team and, and you develop opinions about them. And, and um, you know, writing has always been sort of something that's been a part of my family. And, uh, you know, my grandpa was a writer. My dad is... My dad is a writer, and then he made the cardinal sin of becoming a lawyer. Um, yeah. He <laughs> does not regret any, anything as much as he does that career choice. Um, so, you know, I I wanted to sort of go down that path. And, um, you know, I went to journalism school for a little bit and uh, came back, and I was, I was sort of sick. Um, this was, like, right before the pandemic, and I was feeling really sick. I was done with school uh, for a bit, and so I came back, and I I, I – um, I had started a podcast sort of when the pandemic really started and I, I managed to get some really cool guests. Like it was, I got really lucky with some of them. I got to talk to uh, Sean McIndoe who writes the athletic. He's down goes Brown. Um, you know, all sorts of Peter Labardius, who's just a great guy here in Calgary. And, and one of the people who I talked to was a guy named Ryan Pike who runs a flames site here in Calgary called flames nation. Um, and he, you know, I, we, we eventually sort of established a back and forth. And so I sort of started getting in there and I started doing some writing there and I've met some really cool people there, guys like Pat Steinberg and, and who, who does, uh, work on the fan 960 here in Calgary. And, and because I met Pat through writing for that, I was able to get, um, onto the radio even for a couple of radio hits during the season, which was just a ton of fun. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, having the intuition to sort of, you know, reach out to people, I suppose, you know, and, and just send emails and say, you know, I'm, I'm willing to help you just uh, get on my feet, you know, being at home, not really having a lot to do and, and, and being able to sort of work with, you know, maybe limited compensation coming back your way just to, you know, get get to know some certain people. Right. And so, like, I I've always sort of had a I don't know if I felt pity for the Phoenix Coyotes. Um, like it's, it, they're a funny organization, right? Like there's, there's so much you can say about them and, and they're very much an afterthought when it comes to people's level of discourse in the league, um, which I think is unfounded. Like, I think if a guy like Jacob Chikrin is playing in any other market, he's, you know, everybody loves him. Um, and so they they were a team that I'd always sort of, I always liked the underdogs. And, and so I, I, um, I had sort of glommed onto them when I was in university a little bit. I'd started cause, cause the way that it worked is I was always up late down East uh, when I was in Ottawa for school, watching the flames games. And basically the only other game that would be on after the flames game was over was the coyotes game. And so I would catch like the third period of that game and just, you know, see some of these players, guys who I liked as players who 
nobody seemed to talk about guys like Nick Schmaltz, guys like uh, Christian Dvorak, uh, guys like Chikrin. And so, you know, it's, it just became, you know, the team that you could talk about that nobody else really knew anything about. And so you could maybe, you know, you know, you could talk about them and people would think that you were smart, I suppose, uh, because you, you, you sort of followed the team that nobody else really cared about. Uh, it didn't really work like that, but they, I, it, it just became sort of a natural second team. They, I'd, I'd always liked them dating back to when they made the Western Conference final in 2012. And so that was that covering them was real easy. I just sent a message to the guy who uh, runs the SB Nation site, uh, Five for Howling. And that's just a matter of me writing at will, basically just, you know, writing about the things that I care about. I don't get paid for that. That's just the sort of thing where I just I do it because I like writing about hockey um, and it's it's become a lot of fun. You know, there's some really cool people who write for that site, too. You know, we got Coyotes fans over in Britain who love the team could just because of Liam Kirk. Right. Um, that's a fun one. And so, you know, writing about sports that's is your just, first Liam Kirk reference. By my the first way. Liam. I told Kat <laughs> about a week ago when she approached me to be on the show that I was going to mention Liam Kirk. And that's the first one. But yeah, it's just sort of a it's sort of a labor of love. I do it out of, you know, really enjoying watching hockey and, and following the players. And and uh, it's just been a lot of fun. So that's how I got into it. It's not as interesting as maybe some other stories, but um, I just sort of sent messages and got in and and tried to make friends. And I've made some friends and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> now, let me ask that's you what your okay. take on hockey Twitter is. No, um, oh, no. hockey Twitter's great. Mikey, Mikey, you get you got banned for that one. No, <laughs> I I find myself just not enjoying being on there. But I mean, there are there are I, a lot of a lot of great people you meet, and obviously that's how uh, yeah. I met you guys. But um, like yeah. I just I don't know. I I just feel worn down by it. It's a layered I experience. Wanna, I wanted to ask, though, sort of when when we ask about hockey Twitter, I mean, hockey Twitter is huge, right? And it's a cesspool. It is. Um, but the the two teams that you really cover and that you cheer for have these cool little, like not little fan bases, but it seems like the communities of hockey fans on Coyote's Twitter and on oh, Flames' God. Twitter are, like, they're so... As singular teams, they're not super intertwined as as teams together. No. But when it comes to each of those markets, like like you brought up Ryan Pike, and like I know him through Mike Fail, who yeah. I've known for like seven or eight years now. He he actually came down to go to a Flames game in Arizona with me a couple times. Um, yeah. And like that whole group in Calgary all seems to to know each other pretty well and then you've got Coyotes hockey Twitter which is essentially I mean there there are a few within the Coyotes social media verse who are a little not unlike the city of Phoenix like they're a little out there um but that's a very interwoven group too and how has does that ever get claustrophobic or is that fun like do you like having these communities that you're a part of that really once you once you get to know a few people there it really opens up both of those fan bases uh versus having one like like Toronto or Montreal or Boston where Mm -hmm. it's so hard to know 
even just a small slice of the people that are a part of it because it's so vast and right. I feel like both Calgary and Arizona are a little different there. Well, the funny thing with me um, is that the majority of people I interact with on hockey Twitter are Canucks fans. Um, it's weird. <laughs> That's we, unfortunately like, the case with all of us. We've all yeah, talked we, we have talked about Canucks, Canucks Twitter on this podcast and I have, yeah. I have said they frighten me. <laughs> the vast majority are Canucks fans. Like I, um, it's, 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 they're impossible to miss. Right. Um, Canucks fans, lots of Flyers fans. Um, you know, it's, it's, those are the groups. It's not so much like I talk to the people on flames, Twitter, you know, regularly. Um, cause you know, what I post is mostly flames related. Right. And so I get the obvious, you know, people commenting on the stuff that I write and I'll put out tweets, you know, about the flames and, and uh, there's, you know, a very defined segment of people, you know, who I see all the time. And in terms of people who are like the check marks of Calgary Hockey Twitter, there's like 10 of them. Like, it, it's really small. Um, whereas, you know, in Toronto, like you said, there's maybe 100 of them, right? Um, Calgary, oh boy, like you got all the legacy media folks and then the bloggers and it's, there's really not many of them. And, uh, you know, the, <sighs> yeah. And our athletic coverage, like we used to have three athletic writers or maybe maybe even four at one point. Now we got one. I don't. I, and I remember, I think Craig Morgan used to do the athletic stuff for Arizona and he's not there Both anymore. Craig and I, don't, and I did, yeah. Both yeah. Oh, you, you did it too? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And now now you're not there anymore. Correct. Yeah, yeah so both now of there's us, uh, both of us have ended up leaving. So Right. Yeah. So there's no Arizona Coyote stuff at the athletic, um, which is a shame. But um, no, but don't worry. They, they have. 20 guys covering the Leafs, so it's, yeah. it's okay. Yeah, they got Leafs report cards and Leafs this yeah, and that Leafs, and Leafs yeah. fan reacts. For, hey. for some reason, we're, we're still hearing about the Leafs, even though they've been eliminated <laughs> three fucking months ago. But I digress. <laughs> I'm sorry. I digress. Yeah, well, what can you do? It's, it's they're just, yeah, it's going to be very funny when Montreal wins the Cup this year, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, yeah, you could say it's claustrophobic to an extent. Like, I don't interact with Coyote's Twitter nearly as much as I do Flames Twitter. Like, I barely know anybody on Coyote's Twitter. The only person who I routinely interact with other than Kat is probably Carl, who's the managing editor at Five for Howling, um, Carl Pavlock. Uh, other than that, I mean, James Reeve is another writer there. I talk with him a bit. Um, you know, there's there's a few of them. It's not really, you know, it's... it's I. I don't cover them nearly as much, but I talk about them. Like I, I feel like the, the my contributions to the Coyotes sphere is mostly like tweeting about guys who interest me and introducing guys like that to my non Coyotes people on my timeline. At least that's what I try to do. Um, like I try to, I don't know, if it, it feels dumb to say you raise awareness for an NHL team, especially one that is historically as, you know, a little bit suspect as the Coyotes are in some in some respects. Um, but like I try and like pump Jacob Chikrin's tires all the time. I try and get people to recognize that Nick Schmaltz is actually good. Um, I try to get people to join, you know, the Michael Bunting uh, disciples. You know, it's 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 you know I. It's it's mostly, you know, coyotes the coyotes interactions that I have are with people in the replies to my tweets about the coyotes. Um, you know, and, and so I really like it because it's it does feel like a niche of the NHL that just doesn't get enough coverage and um it's you know, Jacob Chikrin is is everybody's, you know, it's gonna be everybody's sexy underdog Norris pick here in the next couple of years, and I'm just gonna 
be able to say that I was on his bandwagon before anybody else was, but uh, well, or before most other people were. I think um, a lot of people thought definitely felt he deserved Norris love this this past year. Well, then maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm singing my own praises too much. Um, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like there's a divide, uh, and it it really is. I mean, it's the not the national divide because that that's unfair to the the people up in Canada who do follow the league from an even standpoint, but there is a bit of a divide, especially this year where it was, I mean, it was hard for people on the East coast to catch coyotes games because they never started at a time that was convenient for them because they always started in mountain time or earlier. And so guys in Toronto and people in Ottawa and Montreal, and even, even when you look at like the, what was it? The, the Metro East division, yeah. With uh, with Boston and New York, which which had Adam Fox, and so that made it kind of hard for. Oh, don't mention he, Adam he was, Fox to me. He was good. I think he was good. It was a little unfair, though. I I would argue that for the people who were in the Honda West division, there was a lot of chatter about Jacob Chikrin, and even for some people in the Central, especially because he did make things tricky for some of those teams that were in the central who mm-hmm. had played against the Coyotes two to three times every year. But a lot of the East coasters just didn't, it wasn't convenient for them to watch games. And it was, I mean, it was fatiguing watching games this year. I oh, I've yeah. never said that before. Yeah, I've yeah, never said that before that watching hockey made me tired. It made me tired. Yeah. And, you, the, the divisions got really tiring after a while. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure the Canadian division too, because they had less less teams, right? Every game was a rivalry game, and those games are exhausting. Like you, I there's nothing that I wanted more than a dreary, rainy afternoon, 2 p.m. matinee game against Carolina. Yeah, like I've I never know. craved that so much because it's just yeah. such like you get to sit back in bed and just relax and look at the TV and not really care that much. Yeah, but it's still hockey and it's still your team and right. you're still sort of into it. It's sort of that, like that. You don't want it to be zero or ten every time. You want there to be some sixes or some fives, right? That is that is the best. Yes, like I I really could go without the Islanders playing the Rangers. Yeah. Nine fucking times, like well, like I'm good. I don't want to hear about it because I had to watch the Coyotes Blues for seven. That's true. <laughs> I remember that. Seven that was so consecutive great. Consecutive games, and by the end of that, like when we moved on to play some of the other teams. Like, I think they moved on to play Minnesota, who had gotten COVID. Like, the whole team was out for a while, and so was Colorado. And then Minnesota was this, like, sneaky good team this year. And Darcy Kemper never plays worse than when he's playing Minnesota. So, like, having to watch them play Jordan Bennington seven consecutive times, only to watch Darcy Kemper get his ass handed to him by Minnesota, I was like, this season's getting very tiring. Like, I'm done with this. But no, I think I, I think that within the within the Honda West there was chatter for Jacob Chikrin, but especially up where you are, there there wasn't as much in Mikey. I would argue is fortunate enough to have some and not some like I mean he has a lot of interaction with some people out in the West. Um you're welcome, Mikey. And he's also good friends with Shana Goldman, who I think does a very good job of staying very consistent with hyping players from 
every division. And she gave some pretty good coverage to Jacob Chikrin when he was, I mean, he was doing what Oliver Ekman Larson did four or five years ago. When oh, yeah. Yelp, I think he had 28 goals one year and he was just, he was on another level from the rest of the league when it came to defense and he didn't get quite the attention he deserved. I think he finished like sixth or something in Norris voting that year. It wasn't nearly as high as it should have been. And that's kind of what I I'm assuming when we get the voting breakdown, the chicken's going to be higher than we would expect just because I, I know some people did pay attention to him, but for a lot of people just, taking the initiative to watch the rest of the league is a lot was much harder than normal. And I would argue that, you know, if you're getting paid a full-time salary to do it, you should have checked out some of the other teams, but it was, it was harder <laughs> this year. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to fault anyone, but Damian Cox for like not <laughs> this year. Cause it was, it was hard. It was fatiguing. And a lot of people were, I know Tara Sloan's been very vocal about it on Twitter, how hard it's been for anybody who worked in hockey who has kids at home having to quarantine with your kids juggling their attention and also watching the games and doing your job. Like it just became this, it was like, it was like fucking groundhog day. Right. And so I, but it, it was good seeing. Cause like when, when you posted about Jacob chicken, you were, especially there was a weird faction of people who did respond to you and they were like, what do you mean? He didn't do anything this year. And you were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. He did so much. <laughs> and they looked people, and they were like, wait, I guess he did. It's like, where were you this year? <laughs> people still internalize Chikrin as being sort of the, you know, the what Victor Soderstrom is now. People are sort of like, oh, he's still that guy. Oh, yeah, he's still their number one. You know, they got Alex Goligoski. You know, he was their number two. He was ahead of Chikrin. He, Jason Demers is ahead of Chikrin. Nicholas Jalmerson's ahead of Chikrin. Yeah, no. But um, before, you know, while, while we're still talking about Calgary, Arizona, the one thing that I just want to mention, um, the thing that unites my following of Calgary and Arizona is that Calgary and Arizona have the two longest streaks, um, the two longest active streaks in the NHL of losing their season openers. Um, and Arizona is second at four consecutive seasons of losing their season opening games. And Calgary has the longest active streak at 11. <laughs> Um, they've, they've lost 11 consecutive season openers. When you, when you tweeted that, or you either tweeted it or you tech, you like DM'd it to me. And yeah. I told Richie Flores, who's my delightful roommate, um, and host of the Arizona Coyotes podcast, um, over at the hockey podcast network, mm -hmm. there's his contractual plug for paying our, our electric this month. Um, <laughs> He, uh, I, I made him guess. I was like, how long do you think this streak is? And he was like, is it something crazy long, like six games? I was like, oh, <laughs> dragon. <laughs> well, my, my favorite way to contextualize that is Daryl Sutter will be the sixth different Flames coach and second Sutter to try and break that streak, <laughs> um, which is hilarious. Um, his brother started it. Brent started it. And then it went through Bob Hartley, it went through Glenn Gullitson, it went through uh, Bill Peters, uh, it went through Jeff Ward, and now it's back at Daryl. Um, so it's the onus is on him. It's the longest streak. I went through nine different North American professional leagues. I went through the NBA, the, NA, the, uh, the NHL, the NFL, the MLB, the MLS, the WNBA, the NWHL, the NLL, and the CFL. It's the longest in all of them, and it's one of only two. <laughs> it's one of only two that's longer than five games. And there's 11 
and it's they haven't won one they didn't they didn't won one in the entire decade um so yeah that's that's the calgary flames that's that's quintessential flames like that, i could go I on for hours about this. like the calgary flames like that sounds very calgary flames right well there. Um, literally <laughs> i have one more thing to say about this i you're getting me riled up here but there are two active nhl franchises that have never selected in the top three of an NHL entry draft. Oh, Flames, um, right? One of them is the Vegas Golden Knights. And they <laughs> they just joined the league. They, 2017, they've been in four drafts, and they've never picked top three. They picked sixth overall, and then they were really good, right? The Flames have been in Calgary since 1980, and they've never picked in the top three of an NHL entry draft. And they wonder why they're so mediocre. Um, so that's uh i mean even the even the seattle kraken have a second overall pick right now and they just they don't they don't even exist so 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 i have kind of a question about that for you um kind of going along with that um when the flames this year i mean they i thought they were gonna be okay like i really i got excited about that roster um i think when mikey and i were talking about it I think the Canadian division is what we got the wrongest. Um, and part of it was the Canucks, which I'll, I'll own up to. I, I put them coming in second because I was very, very Elias, Elias Pettersson uh, happy. But I'm, I'm a big Jacob Markstrom fan. I thought he was going to really help move that team forward much more than Mike Smith ever did. Um, and they seemed like they were struggling. And then they added Daryl Sutter, who... Uh, whether whether people think he is an effective coach or not, which I kind of want your thoughts on that, but he was brought in essentially to try and turn that team around very quickly and make them competitive again. I mean, he had to he had to whip up that horse and buggy and schlep his way down to Calgary from his farm and mm-hmm. come out of retirement to try and turn that team around. And I kind of want number one your thoughts on what he is for that like whether you think that's a good call for the team overall and number two whether you think that trying desperately to scrabble back like scramble back into being competitive is the right move for a team that thought they had the pieces and just like kind of fault not not just faltered i i feel like they took a very graceless swan dive during the year well how long do you have because like (laughs) i could go on about this for a long time i i mean when when they hired daryl um a that was insane like it was it was one of the craziest nights i was sitting on my couch down here like literally right next to where i'm sitting right now and i got i have trade breaker on my phone and i got this notification and i thought that pierre lebron had like retweeted a hacked account or something um because <laughs> it was it the idea of hiring daryl sutter was something that you would hear from like the i don't know what how to characterize it but you would hear it from like the fans on overtime like the call-in show on 960 here in calgary and, and they'd be like bring back daryl and hire jerome mcginla as the as the gm and it's just like yeah, i don't know man like just just you know go forward here you know go with something new and they did it and it it, it didn't make sense to me um mainly because it felt very non-Brad Tree Living-esque. Um, Brad Tree Living is a very inactive GM during the seasons. Um, he is he doesn't trade for players. He's very you know 
pre-playoff Kevin Shevel dayoff type and the way that he maneuvers. He just doesn't make moves. Um, and I, the, the last thing, I literally went on a podcast the week before they fired uh, Jeff Ward. And I was like, there's no way they're, they're, they're firing Jeff and there's no way they're making any trades uh, to acquire anybody. And I was kind of right about the second part, but I did not think they were going to hire Daryl Sutter. It was just, it was so foreign. And I, I don't know if that was entirely uh, Brad Living's call. I, I, I would be skeptical about that, but I don't know that. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, Daryl is, Daryl's Daryl. Uh, he, he got them playing okay defensive hockey. Um, you know, Mark Giordano experienced quite the resurgence after uh, Daryl was hired. Um, now, Mark Giordano has also moved on to a pairing with Chris Tanev, who you could argue is the best purely defensive defenseman in the entire league this year, which is something that probably nobody saw coming. Um, so I think that probably contributed a bit to it. I mean, the Flames definitely, you could say they made market improvements defensively, but Daryl also sort of drove Jacob Markstrom into the ground down the stretch, which I wasn't a huge fan of because he had already battled an injury that year. I think it was a concussion. Didn't love that. And he was weirdly hesitant to play any prospects at all. And, I mean, the Flames were, like, you could say the Flames were in the hunt down the stretch. They really weren't. Montreal was doing everything they could to give the Flames that playoff spot, which is crazy <laughs> now when you consider that they're about to be one win away from the Stanley Cup final. But Montreal was atrocious down the stretch, and they were giving Calgary chance after chance, and Calgary was just doing nothing with it. And Daryl was refusing to play any of the prospects who I had spent basically the whole season covering. And I, I just kept tweeting, you know, play Adam Rosicka, play Matthew Phillips, play Luke Phil, play all these guys. And the Brett Ritchie experiment on Johnny Gaudreau's wing kept going on, and Joachim Nordstrom on Michael Backlund's line kept going on. And Nikita Nesterov on the defense kept going on. And there were just no lineup changes, nothing, 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 because he had his guys. And they were these really awful veterans. And I don't like to throw them around the word awful, but when you consider what the team was and what they could have gotten out of seeing some of these guys in games, you know, when the Flames, in terms of their future asset base, are really poorly constructed right now, uh, you know, they didn't give them any any of those guys a shot. Um and maybe that's just Daryl trying to audition guys for next season, you know, guys like Brett Ritchie and Jokub Nordstrom and whatever. But it says a lot when, you know, we're less than, I think, a month out or maybe a little bit more than a month out from the end of the regular season. And, you know, three Flames who were regulars being ridden heavily into the ground down the stretch by Daryl are now no longer in the NHL. Like we've seen Nikita Nesterov go over to Russia. We've seen uh, Jokub Nordstrom go to CSKA. I think we're going to see Dominic Simone go overseas. You know, we're, we're going to see all these guys, you know, not in the NHL. So I don't know why Daryl was so hesitant to play any of his kids. Um, so I don't love that. I would love to see, you know, some more of the prospects get real time next year, especially, you know, Jacob Pelletier is going to be eligible to be in the pro ranks all season. Connor's areas. And so that's, you know, one thing where I'd like to see more, you know, and it, it part of that falls on Brad because Brad tree living just, doesn't make those adjustments he, he like the last i don't know if either of you can can guess who the last forward that brad Living traded for was um i think i know the answer to it um i have no idea it was uh wasn't it that calgary trade the or not calgary. the calgary the, the vancouver trade um 
Uh, oh, I mean, Shankarek was a long time ago. No, the last forward that, that, uh, the last forward that Brad traded for was Milan Lucic. And, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's two full seasons ago. He hasn't traded for a single forward since. So um, it wasn't that far off from where I thought it was. God. Yeah. Yeah. That's you so- had sort of the right, um, the right area of the, of the country. Um, but like, I- yeah, Brad just, I don't know what it is, the, the inactivity. And, you know, I, like, you know, the thing that really, you know, when the Flames were so good as they were down the stretch in 2018-19, um, like, they were this, they were number two team in the league. And, you know, they didn't trade for Mark Stone, which, you know, you can, and you people do, debate the merits of that decision all day long. Um, I think, ultimately, you know, the, the question is whether he would have re-signed here. Uh, but, you know, they didn't get anybody else, even. Like, they didn't get anybody to strengthen that team, and... And, uh, you know, I just don't know what sort of message that sends to a team that is, you know, finally contending after years of sort of turmoil. And, you know, they're at uh, 107 points and and you don't get anybody for that team. Like, I just don't think that would send sort of a very good message if we believe in you guys. Uh, the only guy they got that year was Oscar Fansenberg, right? Um, that was their that was their big draft or that was their big trade deadline acquisition for the number two team in the league. Like, I, I don't know about that, but. And but yeah, anyway, I have a lot that I could say about Brad Tree Living. Just I don't really think he's that good at building the flames. But um, with Daryl, the the only thing that I think could be worse is if they make Daryl the GM again, which I think might happen. And um, I'm a little bit scared of that because when Daryl was the GM here back in the late 2000s, it was a disaster um, culminating in a stretch where he, you know, traded Dion Phaneuf for a whole bunch of spare parts from Toronto uh, traded, you know, Ole Jokinen, uh, at the trade deadline for Alish Kodalik, who he eventually had to package with a second and Robin Regeer to get out of. And then Buffalo eventually went, turned around and flipped Robin Regeer for two seconds. Um, so like just terrible asset management by Daryl. So I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to, you know, see him get even more influence in the hockey ops side of things. Like, I don't know. Crazier things have happened. Don Waddell went from being the Atlanta Thrashers GM to the Carolina Hurricanes GM, right? Anyway, uh, the question was about Daryl, and I'm not that sold on him. I think the Flames should tear it down, honestly, going forward. Like, they just don't have the core to be a competitive team. And they have never committed to be to being bad. I If I'm... If I'm the GM right now, my goal for the next few years is to be worse than Buffalo because um, it's something they've literally never done. Uh, like It was, goes back to the point that I was saying earlier about Vegas and Calgary being the only two teams that have never picked top three in the draft. And Calgary's been around, what, 41 years, and they've never picked in the top three of a draft. And they've never, you know, they've picked fourth once. They've picked sixth a few times. And, you know... But and then and then they 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 trade all their second round picks for guys like Curtis Lazar and Brian Elliott and and Mike Smith and and they they just speed out of their rebuilds even when they commit to them and it's it just feels like you know they're they're sort of just managing from this from the seat of their pants and so I don't think they're they're committed to a rebuild I don't think they ever have been and I don't know if they ever will be under this ownership group um, but it's something that I think they should be and I don't think I don't think they're going to get anywhere until they do. Personally, do think, but do you, do you think well it's come out today that uh kachuk kind of may want out would you trade him um if he wants out maybe i mean i don't know where he would go um the the thing like the two obvious destinations that come to my main mind would be st louis and arizona i was um, gonna say send him home yeah well Bring like, him home. <laughs> and the thing is like the two guys who i've seen some people talk about with those two teams 
the guys who I hear are like, oh, send him, trade him for Robert Thomas, trade him for Christian Dvorak. And it's like, those are his buds. Those are the guys who he's going to want to go there and play with. And so, like, those are the guys Christian who... Christian Dvorak's kind of an untouchable for Arizona, too. I know, they, I know right? that nobody's a true untouchable for that team, but that's, I think you need to... You need to offer a massive turnaround. Like you'd need to, you'd need to really package a lot because Kachuk's yeah. a winger, right? That's the Coyotes are a team that doesn't have a whole lot of centers. Exactly. Why right? on earth would you trade one of the good centers for a winger? Kachuk, <laughs> the, the appeal for Arizona would be to put Kachuk and Dvorak on the same line because that's what they were with London, right? Um, like that's, that's the whole, that's the sitch to me. Like if I can get those two firing like they were when they won the Memorial cup, like that's why I would want to do it. Right. Um, but like, I think it could, I think it can make sense. The Kachuk contract is tricky, right? Like, cause, cause once it's over, they have a $9 million qualifying offer for them and you run the risk of having it be a Mark Stone situation again, where, you know, you have a guy who maybe signs a one year deal to force himself to UFA and all of a sudden, you kind of have to trade him. And I don't know, you know, if he doesn't want to be here, then then I think that signals to me you got to start over. Um, you got to move on from him. You got to move on from Gaudreau. You got to move on from Monahan. You got to trade basically everybody that's not bolted down, if you ask me. Uh, Mangiapane can go. Um, you know, Giordano can absolutely go, considering that he's 37. Um, I, I just think they have never really committed to being that bad and they have a really good opportunity in the upcoming two drafts following this one to get some really, really good players. If they commit to it, like they could, they could get some real good, good assets for a guy like Gaudreau and for a guy like Kachuk and even for Monaghan, honestly, if they retained a bit of salary, maybe Um, I think it would be smart. But they would lose out on playoff revenue, and that's going to be really important for them, I think. Um, they're trying to they're trying to build a new arena. There. That, that's, that's a team that, I mean, Mikey is a fan of the Islanders, and I've been covering the Coyotes for eight years now. We are intimately familiar with teams that have to make decisions with finances in mind. Calgary is one of those too, right? I mean, yeah. how much of that do you think has to to do with the fact that this is a team that has not been willing to just free fall. I think it is maybe the most intrinsic factor um, that they, you know, they went six years without making the playoffs there between 2010 and 24, well, 2009 and 2015 there. They missed the playoffs for six years in a row. And, um, they didn't really get anything. They didn't get much out of it. Like they, they hit a home run with Gaudreau. Try to imagine where they would be if they didn't hit that home run with Gaudreau. Um, you know, if they'd picked, I don't know, Jeremy Roy there instead, or I don't know, I just picked that name out of my ass, but, um, you know, some random guy and they don't have Gaudreau to show for it. And that was their rebuild. Like that's basically the way that they tried to do it. And they got super lucky with Gaudreau, kind of like what the wild have done with Kaprizov. Um, and that was their attempt at a core. Uh, it was admirable. I mean, they, they made it to the second round kind of on the basis of luck 2017, you know, they get swept by Anaheim, even though they were literally the better team in that series, but they had Brian Elliott who put forth probably the worst goaltending performance in the playoffs of the 2010s. 
Um, two years later, they have the best team in the West. Uh, they make no changes at the deadline, and since then they have not made any changes, and they just get bounced out every year. Um, so, like, I, I say, I, I, I think, I think they are very much cognizant of how important it is even to just get two games of playoff revenue, because um, really that's all they've had for the last few years now, and um, you know there is a path forward for them this upcoming season where the Pacific Division in all likelihood is going to be really, really bad. And the the decision that they can make based on the short term is to say, well, right now we feel like we have a better team than Vancouver, and we feel like that we have a better team than all the California teams, and we have a better team than Seattle probably. And so we can make it and get, you know, however much money you get from one playoff game multiplied by at least two. And hey, there we go. That's a nice little bonus. And uh, even if we don't make it that far, that's you know what we can get out of it. It's but that's not what I would do from a long term perspective. So um, it's tough, and uh, it's it's not looking real rosy because the Flames are mediocre and they have probably a bottom ten prospect pool, and uh, a lot of their top players don't have any any cost control. Like they're gonna all have all be up for new contracts soon, and Odds are they're probably not going to stay. So, um, I mean, I don't know. Goudreau has said that he probably wants to stay, but I don't know what if he means that or if he's just saying that. I mean, I don't know. It's it's something that we're just going to have to watch because there's no real answer that you can give. Do you think that that changes a little bit with a... So one of the things, and, and Mikey and I touched on it a little bit earlier this season, just, just kind of talking about it from a bafflement standpoint uh when Johnny Gaudreau had I don't remember it was what his 500th game something like that and it was like a very cool milestone for a player that fact of the matter like not not many players get to reach and mm-hmm. Daryl Sutter's response to it wasn't you know to privately you know try and get him to play you know be serious about this play better he was like I guess I guess it's a 500th game. Like you look like crap. Um, that yeah, that made me angry. That made that, me angry. That made me angry. And one one of the things that we kind of wanted to have you on today to talk about was looking at. I mean, it's it's Pride Month, and we really wanted to talk a little bit about you can play and how hockey is for everyone. And one of the few things that I just don't get that vibe from is Daryl Sutter. Um, just that that mentality that's not I don't know I I find him kind of cruel and mm-hmm. at a time when hockey's trying to become more inclusive and more welcoming I guess welcoming is really what what I don't see from him um do you think that's going to push players like Johnny Gaudreau Wayne do you think that's going to change the culture of the Flames for the worse like do you think that players who maybe would be more welcoming and more inclusive and make the team a just a better place to be do you think they're they would avoid going there because Daryl Sutter's basically I, I feel like when he's back that's that's a hard person to dislodge unless he wants to go right um and I or do you think that players don't necessarily care do you think they appreciate his his brand of love essentially using love with some very very heavy yeah. words around it 
Well, like, I, I think you have to consider, um, you know, our perspective versus the player's perspective, right? Like, we look at the game from that lens of how we want, you know, certain things to to be, you know, very inclusive and very um, empathetic and very um, considerate. And, and, you know, there, there's just a different mindset um, when you get to certain segments of hockey where, you know, coaches like Daryl Sutter come from, you know, players like Daryl Sutter. Daryl Sutter was a player before he was a coach, right? And there are players today who will become coaches who are probably pretty strict, you know, to an extent like Daryl. I've never met Daryl. I don't know what happens. Like, I've never been in that locker room. Um, I The impression that I get of him, you know, I didn't like what he said about Johnny that, that day. I, and it didn't make a lot of sense either because Johnny was just amazing this year. Like, he had a fantastic year. Like, I don't know if you're trying to motivate that guy, but, like, that's the last guy on the team who I'm criticizing. You know, there's absolutely no way. He had 49 points this year in 56 games. Like, he was fantastic. There's, I, I don't know. I so, some people don't agree with me on that, but I I have I have all the time in the world for Johnny Gaudreau. Um, now I I don't like it. I don't like it. But at the same time, what is the ideology of NHL players, right? Like, what is the what is the, how do they approach things when they go into the locker room? Um, you know, I think the tough love approach probably plays pretty well with some of them, um, but. We see players all the time who, you know, they get sort of explained away out of cities because they don't fit in and they don't mesh. And um, we saw it with Dougie Hamilton when he was here and he just didn't mesh. And for whatever reason, I don't know anything about that. Um, And I do think, you know, I think it could be a very real thing um, where you just have guys who just don't like them. I mean, there there are I think players, certain players have come out against Daryl. Uh, in the years that he was not uh, coaching, the years that between his stint with the Kings and then coming back to Calgary, I think there were some players who came out sort of saying that they didn't like him. Um, there was, I think, there was an abuse allegation um, that was brought up. I think it was, I think it was Dan Carcillo who said that he kicked him or something. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, it was I don't, him yeah. and his brother back. Back in junior, when they were when they were junior coaches. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't have that article in front of me, but that's what I remember. Um. So I mean, I don't think it's going to be a situation where that coach is universally liked. Um. As for what approach the Flames need, like I, I don't know. Like I think if you bring in a guy who's, who who maybe needs that players coach approach and you try and put him with Daryl, it's just not going to be maybe the healthiest situation. And I don't know um, um, if that means teams don't acquire a skilled player because of that, then I think that's hurting the team. Um, but it's, it's, it's really hypothetical. Um, but it's, I don't know, like it's really hard to tell without, without meeting any of these guys, but if I'm a player, I just want to coach you. I can have a conversation with. I I don't like any of the theatrics. I don't like any of the you know the mind the mind games. That's that's just that's my ideology when I'm on a hockey team. And the teams that I'm on these days don't even have coaches. But um, I I never liked the guys who tried to play, you know the the approach where you know they'd ask me some unrelated question and and they judge me based on my answer and say, okay, you're a scratch tonight. And, you know, like, what? Like, I, I don't know. I And I, Daryl is, Daryl is 
Daryl's Daryl. He's divisive. And, you know, I don't understand. Like, we saw it with Mike Babcock, and I'm not going to compare Daryl to Mike Babcock because there's a lot more that we know about Mike Babcock right now. (laughs) Um, But, you know, with Mike Babcock scratching, you know, Jason Spezza and, and... that playing that weird mind game with Marner and, and, and all that stuff. And, and with Daryl, you know, seeing him, you know, talk about Johnny like that, that reminded me of the Spezza situation a bit when he was the healthy scratch on opening night. And it's just like, can you not, I know this season is not maybe going the way that you want it to, but Johnny is a positive in every respect on this team. Um, You know, he is, he busts his ass every night. Like there is no disputing that Johnny loves to play this game and is fantastic at it. Like he's the last guy. Like, why are you criticizing him when the guy who maybe should be criticized is you for playing Brett Ritchie 15 minutes a night and putting these guys in situations where they're not going to succeed when you have guys playing top six roles in the minors who are putting up point a game and you're not even giving them more than five minutes a night, right? Like when they do play. So, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about Daryl. Um, I don't know the man, never met the man. I don't know anything about him because I just really – I the only stuff that I know about him is what the players have said. And I really do know there are players who don't like him. And uh, my sense is that ownership trusts him. My sense is that Murray Edwards probably really likes Daryl. Um, but, hey, I don't know. I don't know if, if that's what a billionaire thinks. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of billionaires, right? So – <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I've basically said all I can. I really don't have much more to say. I think that's fair. That's, uh, I've, I've only met him once. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't, didn't love it. Um, there, there are some coaches that are very welcoming to new people who, like to younger reporters and are a little more inclusive to female reporters. And Daryl Sutter is not one of those. Mm. Um, But that's, I mean, it's very different in the locker room. Right. And I I think that's a good point. Um, Yeah. But well, the one, the the one thing that I wanted to just say before we go any further um, is I want to, you know, we're talking about, you know, maybe negative impact about a coach, but uh, the one thing that I really just wanted to say while I'm here is Calgary promoted Kale McLean, um, who was the coach of the Stockton Heat, uh, when I was covering them this past season. Uh, they made him their assistant coach, and that is a good man. So I'm very pleased to I'm very pleased to hear about that promotion. Um, and I think Kale is the guy who really re- really relates to and understands his players. And so that was a promotion I was very very pleased to hear about. Well, that's that's good news, and that. That may be how teams kind of have to have to usher in new eras, you know, mm-hmm. have have someone who does relate to the players a little better. Um, going alongside guys who who have the trust and respect of, of some of the older ones and of, of ownership groups, too, because that that is important. Um, and as I'm sure Mikey can can tell us uh Lula Morello, uh, not not a new school kind of guy, not someone no. who's not someone who's here for for the kumbayas and the hugs and the rainbows and but they've brought in others within the Islanders organization who clearly have gotten everyone to buy into things and have gotten everyone to work together and 
And he's yeah. GM of the year for the second time in a row. Um, I so. really can't. I, uh, yeah, it's funny. I was reading an article today, and it's, uh, I don't know if you guys watched Ted Lasso on Apple. Yeah. Yeah, Barry Trotz is a big uh, Ted Lasso fan, so that's I enjoyed uh, finding that out. Um, yeah, Lou has done a like actually turning it the Islanders into an actual organization, and I know people. I really could go without reading uh, the Lou Lamorello discourse on either side for the rest of my life because it's just it just doesn't stop. But the Islanders have. I think they employ like the second most amount of analytics people, uh, but behind the Toronto Maple Leafs actually. So it's like the fa- the fact that they think it's just that, like he he's running some like old school organization. I, I really don't think that's true. Now have do I not like some of the moves he's made? Of course, but I I really like the results so far. So and I I like a lot of the people they've hired and. I like a lot of the analytics people they hire, and I love the head coach they have. So I'm not really in a uh, position to complain. But um, anyway, moving along. Moving on to to bigger and brighter things. Um, Mike, I know we before we started, we wanted to hear about your coverage of the Flames, and we wanted to hear about your coverage of the Coyotes, and we got a little off topic with the flames who are could have been a more pleasant experience for you this year. I'm sure. Um, but I did want to turn it a little away from the rink and talk a little bit about, like I said, this is, this is pride month and we've, we've had Brock McGillis on our show who was very enlightening about what he thought in terms of inclusivity with not just within hockey, but within sports in general from the from the player side of things um Mike I I wanted to hear a little bit from you about from the media side of things and from someone who has played hockey and who covers the game and who loves the game um just kind of what what you've experienced and both positive and where where it can still sort of move forward a little bit yeah, well, there's always room to move forward. I mean, um, I was relatively pleased to see um, all of the the discourse was relatively positive when the Vegas Raiders guy uh, Carl Nassib came out yesterday. Uh, that was that was pretty cool. Um, you know, it's hockey culture is is you know very um, it's a lot. Like I I played hockey for like ice hockey on. Calgary teams growing up, you know, minor hockey, uh, 2009-ish to around 2015. And, you know, the homophobic stuff, you know, it's always there. It's it's just, it's never go, it's never something that went away. Um, it's, you know, always sort of the default um, for edgy, you know, edgy young hockey players coming up. And it's just, it's something that's, you know, very internalized and it's it's something that's encouraged and it's something that's, um, you know, uh, I think a product of the way that, you know, young players are treated and, and, um, it's, it's always prevalent and, um, you know, being a reporter, it's honestly, you know, being a part of that community, it's not never something that I've experienced any pushback on. 
in terms of um in terms of you know being on the job like when i was covering the stockton heat this past season it was you know there was nothing ever that was said or anything um and i think the best part of 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 sort of being uh out as it were is you know just the the um you know you get all sorts of messages that are m- mostly positive from people who are also you know fans and, and of of hockey and and just trying to you know have conversations and 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 express themselves as part of you know two shared communities right um that's something that and i think that's something that carl nasib yesterday also made very clear is that you know people need to people need to see versions of themselves in you know all sorts of different environments and and something that is considered a lot is, you know, LGBT players in sports. But there's a lot more to sports than just players, right? There's all sorts of different positions, um, you know, not just on the on the on the court or on the on the ice or on the field. There's, you know, you watch a hockey game and there's a lot that goes into that broadcast. Um, you know, some broadcasts more than others, but um, there are people, you know, calling the games and 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 you know, I I. Um, you know, people, people, you know, people who don't understand what it means to be a part of this community and people who, who, um, are not familiar, you know, they, they believe in a very stereotypical, uh, uh, way of, of LGBT people expressing themselves. And, and it's just not, you know, it's some people are like that and some people, you know, some people just don't some people aren't flamboyant and some people do it and 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 we we come in all shapes and sizes and forms and 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 uh and you know mentalities and and we we all talk about the game differently and 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 I think the more of us that are 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 confident enough to express ourselves in the way that we choose to 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 put ourselves out there it just, you know, gives more avenues for people to see themselves and, and say, yeah, I can do that too and be myself and not feel like I'm, I don't belong in this community, right? Like, you know, the, I, 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 I don't think of myself as being, I don't think of myself as being, you know, a, a, a bi guy covering hockey. I just think of myself as a guy covering hockey who, you know, also has that part of me and it's something that's part of me, but it's not, you know, it's, it's something that, that I, you know, I definitely think of, but, you know, when somebody talks to me about it, you know, it's just, okay, yeah, that's, that's true. Now, what do you think about the Calgary Flames? What do you think about the Arizona Coyotes? What do you think about the New York Rangers? Whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's there, but it's also just, you know, something that establishes a conversation and then we can have a conversation that's, you know, us as hockey fans, right? And I can have conversations about what that's, that other part of me is like too, right? Like it's, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's I have a lot of different thoughts uh, that I sometimes struggle to put into words, um, but I just think the more visibility there are for all sorts of different hockey fans who come from different backgrounds, and the the better. And 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 having the more awareness so people aren't confused. You know, putting pronouns. You know, making sure that people are aware of you know that's that that part of communication. People really love to glom onto the pronouns. Uh, that's the funniest. Well, maybe not Man. funniest, but yeah, it's. Like I love pron- seeing those in your mentions. I'm like, yeah. good god, good it's god. classic. It's like if you have pro- the people, they'll they'll say if you have pronouns, you you don't deserve to talk or whatever. And and the response is just, you know, you have pronouns too, you know. 
Like, like you, you just used a pronoun in that tweet. You said the word you. That's a pronoun. Like, it's, it's, it's really not that hard. Um, you know, you can. I don't care what your pronouns are. I'll use them. Like, just tell me. Like, you know. So, anyway, it's, it's just, it's, it's just, yeah. It's. I just think, you know, there's, there's so much space for, for different. And let me tell you, on, on Twitter and, and all sorts of things, um, there are all sorts of different people and. And I, I I recognize all of them, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, while Twitter is a shared space for people to to express themselves in all sorts of different ways, um, you know, I just think about us as hockey fans, and 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 um, and and the individuals, you know, I I they're they're fantastic too, and 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 it, it's just something that links us all together, and and we can have great conversations and. And talk about and and all you have to do is just have an open mind. Like there's people who lose out on so much great conversation if they just choose to gatekeep who they want to talk to. You know, like they're missing out. There's so many great people, right? Absolutely, and I think you know this is such a great sport and it is a great community. But you know, uh, it, the world it's it just it's better when you know everyone can be their their true self you know without ha- yeah. having to worry about it well and you know people who the people who say you know you shouldn't say that sort of stuff you know like just stick to stick to the hockey side of yourself well no people people deserve to have the right to express themselves however they want to express themselves and 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 place a default version of themselves out there that people have to interact with you know who that 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 contains who they are you know it's they they have every right to be genuine about who they are and 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 so, you know, that's what we see when when there are people in the community who 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 talk about hockey and and God, there's so much incredible um, content that, that that's out there that's so um, steeped in with with that community too. Like, have you seen those uh, those pride jerseys that are going around? Those are yeah. so cool. They yeah. are those are incredible. so incredibly cool. Yeah. Um, and that's like the best way that those two things can mix. Um, like it's those are fantastic. I wish we could have, you know, I wish I could buy one, honestly. I would, if they, if they existed, I totally would. Well, they're like, they're art. Like they're just plain and simple. Like, like I was talking to like with the stuff that I do with aesthetics, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a chat with a whole bunch of different Jersey designers, like legit designers. And we were talking about them and one of them works for Vegas. And he was like, yeah, these are incredible. Might not work like on an actual Jersey, but like, Cause like the, the templates are all crazy and, and it probably wouldn't do it justice, honestly, like the designs, like all the glittery aspects and the, the glowing aspects and the shiny aspects. It's hard to put that on actual fabric, but just the way that they're, you know, depicted on, on, on those templates just looks incredible. Just fantastic. That's I, I wish we had a little more time to talk about that stuff with, with the jerseys, because that's, that's so fun. Um, oh yeah. Knowing what they kind of kind of getting a chance to, we'll have to have you back on because we we do want to hear about <laughs> yeah absolutely about the jerseys. Um, I would I would trade all of the heartbreak that you had to had to go through watching the the Calgary Flames stay mediocre just to just to hear a little more about the jerseys. But <laughs> but I did want to say that's what you were saying about making sure that people see a version of themselves uh, in every aspect of 
sports, not just the players. That's when we when we had Brock on, he actually specifically talked about you for, for just a moment and talked about how impressed he was that someone who didn't necessarily have to make it visibly known no. that they were yeah. a member of the LGBTQ community was willing to do so while getting their career off the ground. And yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. Like, well, you don't have to be afraid of it, right? Like, like it's, it's, I mean, you, it, society is, is scary when it comes to the way that it treats people in this community, but hockey Twitter with its infinite diversity and I follow incredible, incredible people who are 10 times the person I am, um, you know, who are, you know, vocally and outwardly and incredibly, you know, confident about them themselves as, you know, these these, you know, bisexual, lesbian, gay, transgender hockey fans. And they 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 integrate all of that perspective into their discussion about hockey Um and it is it is so intrinsic to the way that they cover the game or not even cover, but talk about the game. And they are it's 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 a blending of these two sort of facets of their of their life, you know, parts of who they are. Um, and and it is, you know, woven into the fabric of who they are as hockey fans. Right. And for me, um, you know, I I. I just know that there is a community that is so diverse and so incredible there that, you know, I, it's, it's, I, I just don't really care if somebody doesn't want to me to write for them because I am who I am. Right. Like if that, if that is well, like, like, like uh, because of my orientation, because like, if that's the case with them, then maybe I just don't, maybe that's just not somebody who I want to write for. Right. Like, and I'm extremely fortunate to have security behind me. Like I, I am relatively, um, like I am relatively well off in terms of where I am with my family and, um, being sort of still back at home after, you know, trying to go to school and living on my own for a bit. And like, I'm not trying to project myself as some sort of self-made, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm some enterprising young individual who's making a name for myself in the hockey business because and because there are people who do that. There are people who say, I'm a self-made millionaire at age 25, and really they just live with their parents, um, which, you know, nothing wrong with living with your parents, but you're maybe not, you know, self-made. And, and I'm not self-made. I, I, am, I rely on my parents and, and all the support that I get from my family and, and everything so much, and I'm extremely fortunate to have that behind me. And if I didn't have that, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't be so so confident with putting that out there right away. But um, it's it is a really fantastic community, and um, yeah, I, I I really I could, can't say enough about how how much of a privilege it is just to be able to experience you know some of the perspectives of some of these incredible people on the LGBT community on hockey Twitter who are just so so you know proud of of who they are and and it is just such an interwoven part of themselves of their dna as hockey fans um i can't imagine not wanting to be a part of that community and you know dismissing those people um because you don't believe in lgbt people like you're just missing out that's the best hockey content there is if you ask me
I love that. That's, yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a delightful change of pace. Um, from talking about Daryl's putter. Um, to end this on, I I do want to say thank you for a. Uh, for taking time i know you uh you had stuff to do earlier today mikey mm-hmm. our sweet sweet michael radigan over here um is three hours ahead of myself um in arizona so he's he's up past his bedtime here um but worth <laughs> it absolutely worth it um absolutely thank okay. you so much for coming on yes thank, thank you. you so much um and hopefully we'll have you back on again soon thanks for having me really appreciate it uh, thanks to our listeners. Uh, uh, big thanks to Mike. Um, and yeah, enjoy the rest of the playoffs. And I hope we get the Montreal Canadiens, New York Islanders, Stanley Cup Finals that you all deserve. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be fantastic. Have a good week, everybody. Yep.